As we start, we're going to open up in prayer. Would you um, uh, pray with me? And uh, let's just take a moment before the Lord and have Him examine our hearts. Lord, I believe that each person here is given a unique gift. There are so many one another's in the Scripture. And you put them there because there are a variety of gifts and a variety of ways to express those gifts. And when we hold back and we don't get involved and we don't participate, we are robbing your body of great great blessing and ourselves of being greatly blessed. And so we pray, Lord, that as we explore tonight in your words some of these concepts of inreach, as we... uh, as we seek to apply them to our hearts, we pray, Father, that we would also seek to be equipped to do it effectively. And give us that balance, Lord, as we reach up and worship to you, as we reach in to one another, and as we reach out to the world. Would you pray for the person that's on your right tonight? Just for a moment. Maybe, maybe lay your hand on their shoulder or... Just pray that God would awaken them and bless them. Some of them have had a rough day. Just as the Lord leads, pray for that person that's sitting on your right. And then for the one on your left. That God would just have His will. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, I want to explain this to you a little more. I I was supposed to have a video queued up and ready to show you to explain it, but I don't think it's here, so I'm going to wing it. Uh, This is um, a set we call Line on Line, and the idea, and it will be better explained when you see it on video, or if you go to to lineonline.net, you could actually see what it has been like. But the idea was to do through the Bible uh, interactively or to do through the Bible, not in the year 1960 or 70, but in the year 2000 plus. And the idea was to incorporate some elements uh, that are a little bit different. Um, But they're not really different to our society. I would just say they're different to the church. Traditionally, the church is way behind what goes on. And... um, You know what the difference is? When you see a news program from 10 and 20 years ago and compare it with the news program today, I mean just nightly news, Fox News, you notice that it's not just Jerry Dunphy singing from the desert to the sea to all of Southern California a good evening like it was years ago. There's usually something going on inside the newsroom because people have discovered that we learn visually and we learn um, in a different way when there's things going on. So what we did back in Albuquerque is we did this set called Line on Line. And then as you can see on the side, there's banners that say First Kings. We're not going through First Kings tonight. So erase that out of your mind, but you get the concept. 
if we were going through 1 Kings or Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ephesians, we did the set a little differently. And it sort of brought focus to the evening as people would come in. They go, oh, that's right. It's line on line tonight. It's 1 Kings. So I'll get my Bible ready to 1 Kings. Then we would break it up in increments. And so, for instance, let's say we were in the book of 1 Samuel. And 1 Samuel chapter 1 is all about how Samuel the prophet was introduced to the nation of Israel, but not how God just used a man to do his work, but how God first got a hold of a woman to do his work, and that she prayed for a son, and that was Samuel the prophet, but she was barren. And though she couldn't have children, she prayed, the Lord answered her prayer, and he was born and ministered to the nation. So the first week um, when we did that, I interviewed for about five to ten minutes a couple of different people up here on the couch. One was a person who was uh, a fertility specialist, a female doctor in Albuquerque, who talked about the focus of the issue of uh, infertility and why it was a big deal. And one woman who adopted a baby and why the Lord used that in her life. Um, And so we brought focus to that issue in an interview to contemporize it. And then we went back to the band after worship and played another song. And then I would teach through that chapter. Now, the next week, we might mix it up a little bit. We might have um, questions from the audience regarding what was last week's or this week's topic and uh, then get into the Word. Then the following week, we might have uh, questions from our Internet audience. And I know a lot of this is new. A lot of this technology is new to this church. I hope you get used to it because everybody else is used to it around uh, the world. And that's okay. It just takes some time. But you probably don't understand that thousands, thousands of people watch these live streaming events on Sundays and even Wednesdays. So there's a lot of interested people in, in this. And they actually, some of them, because they don't attend, they're in other countries or states, they watch and they get fed through it. So it can be a meaningful tool. So one week we might take questions that people have written in from the Internet and address them, and it goes out, again, live streaming on the Internet, wherever they are, as well as uh, to uh, our local congregation. So it's just a fun way to interactively go through the Bible, verse by verse, or as the uh, sign says, line upon line, precept upon precept. Tonight I wanted to talk a little bit about inReach. Last week, we spoke a little bit about outreach. I want to speak a little bit about inreach. And I'll explain the term again to you, but let me read this to you. Somebody wrote, There are 200 million Americans. 86 million are over 65, and 76 million are under age 21. That leaves only 38 million to do the work. But 6 million are in the armed forces. That leaves 32 million to do the work. But 6 million are on welfare, so that leaves 26 million to do the work. But 15 million work for the government. (laughs) So that leaves 11 million to do the work. 10 million are in school, that leaves 1 million to do the work. But 750,000 are disabled or sick, so that must leave only 250,000 to do the work. Last week, there were 249,998 people in jail. So that leaves two people to do the work. And since you don't do much, no wonder I'm so tired. (laughs) 
Now, I brought that little illustration up just to bring focus to this issue of the church ministering to each other in love. Last week, we were looking in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2 principally. And so if you brought your Bible, and I assume that you did, and if you did, good thinking. Turn back to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at that, and then we're going to go over to 1 Corinthians 12 in just a moment. We were discussing and are discussing the model for the church. Where do we look for a model of what a church is to function like? Do we go through church history, or do we look at modern churches that have done it a certain way, or do we look to the scriptures? And we discovered that the best place to look for our model, though it might be applied differently in any culture, is the scripture itself, but not just the New Testament church, but the New Testament church in the book of Acts, especially in Jerusalem. And we get the first mention, the first template, the first grid of how a church operates there. And that's important because if you say, well, we're following the New Testament church, be careful, the church at Corinth was a New Testament church, riddled with problems, fraught with difficulties, division, etc. In fact, the whole book of 1 Corinthians was written to solve all of the problems that riddled that church. So we have to be careful when we say we're a New Testament church. I'd say, which one? The church uh, at, as we mentioned last week, Ephesus, Pergamos, Thyatira, etc. were New Testament churches all in need of repair. So we look to the book of Acts, we look to the Jerusalem church, and we were looking in Acts chapter 2, where we read in verse 41, those who were gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. We looked at that carefully last week. And fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. We looked at three words last week. This is a few weeks of vision casting. What is the vision of the church in Jerusalem? What should our vision be? And we gave you three words. And I want to just kind of reinforce them tonight. Upreach was the first word. Inreach was the second word. Outreach was the third word. And we categorized, if you remember, all of the activities that we just read into one of those three categories in Acts chapter 2, these verses, this paragraph we were looking at. And we discovered that our first and foremost order, our important focus ought to be on our relationship with God primarily, our upreach to Him. And we discovered that as we read the Scriptures together, as we apply them together, God reveals who He is, what He wants, what we're to do. And our relationship with Him is one of worship then. 
And we worship in a number of ways, not just by singing. We worship by obeying. We worship by listening to His Word. We worship by giving of our resources, our talents, etc. Everything must flow out of a healthy upreach, a healthy relationship. If we're not getting our tank filled up, we're not going to go very far in reaching out to the world or in ministering to the body of Christ. So tonight we want to look at in-reach. How do we reach into the church? How do we, as a church, build up the church? I uh, was on the computer and got a sampling of something that is very fundamental, but it's from a Bible program. It's the uses of one another in the New Testament. um, And I'll just give you the sampling of them. Romans 12, 5. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. It goes on a few verses later, verse 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. Romans 12 verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Romans 13 8. Owe to no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Romans 15, verse 7, Therefore receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Romans 15, 14, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, able to admonish one another. By the way, the word admonish there, nutitheo, speaks of counseling one another. We should be so equipped that the body of Christ can counsel the body of Christ. We admonish and counsel no matter what the needs are. Romans 16, 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty three. when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 25, that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Ephesians 5, submitting to one another. Colossians 3, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 3, abound in love to one another. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, concerning the coming of Christ, therefore comfort one another with these words. Hebrews chapter 12 and 13, that we should be encouraging or exhorting one another. Now, it's only obvious, it makes sense, that in order to fulfill the one another's, we have to hang out with one another. You can't do any of these one another's alone in front of a tape recorder, a television, or a computer. You have to somehow have environments that create the one anotherness so that we're all doing something. That's where inreach comes in. The book of Acts had a structure. That is, the church in the book of Acts had a twofold structure. Look at verse 46 of chapter 2. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. They had a twofold structure. They met in a large group. They met in small groups. The large group was obviously in the temple. These are the large courtyards, stone courtyards of the temple, primarily the court of the Gentiles, which could hold thousands of people. Um, 
sometimes when the weather was foul and uh, it was raining, they would meet under the covered area of the temple called Solomon's Portico, a porch-covered area. Jesus taught there frequently. It was a place where groups would meet en masse for instruction from the rabbis. So they would meet in the temple because the early church was at first Jewish and they were allowed to meet in that area to congregate for teaching. But then also for not just instruction, but for relationship, for intimacy, for the one another's, they would break bread and they would do it, notice, from house to house. A couple of things are important to note. The early church was large in Jerusalem. As I mentioned last week, conservative estimates place the church in Jerusalem at about 25,000 people after a few months of enormous growth as the Holy Spirit was adding to the church. So it was large, number one. Number two, though it was large, they all had fellowship with one another. They had koinonia, we read here. They met in such a way, their structure was in such a way that the enormity of the crowd did not take away from the intimacy of the crowd with one another. They had koinonia. They shared in a number of ways fellowship with one another. And uh, it says, with gladness and simplicity of heart. Praising God, having favor with all the people, And that's what they concentrated on. And I love this. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. When we were at a place, I mentioned before uh, our, our little journey in Albuquerque the last 22 and 23 years. We started with four people. It grew to a a sizable um, group of folks. And I would sometimes hear people saying, this church is too large. And uh, I don't like a large church. So I would point out the fact, what we pointed out last week and this week, that the early church grew rapidly. And all of the examples in the book of Acts where the Lord added, the Lord multiplied, and yet they had fellowship. So I said, how do you suppose they were able to be so many thousands of people and yet have intimate fellowship with one another? They could do it. They could do it by the networks, by the small groups. And I believe in the importance of small groups. I believe that people should be attached to some home fellowship group or some breakup group, whether it is in a home or whether it meets um, on a Saturday or it's a woman's group or it's a singles group or it's a men's group, something that gives people the opportunity to have intimate fellowship with one another. And... um, Sometimes people would say, well, the church is way too big for me. I'm going to go to a smaller church. And I understand, and we would even help them do that. But then I would also caution them, pray that your church doesn't grow. (laughs) Wherever you end up, pray that nobody else will come. Because as it gets too big, then you'll be unhappy again, and then you'll have to go to another smaller church and pray that it won't grow. So I don't think that's the solution. It's all about being able to minister to one another in love. When we do that, when there is a healthy upreach and a healthy inreach, there's a dynamic that happens. A dynamic of maturity that happens. I was thinking about this this last week when my family and I visited uh, our old church and uh, I did a wedding there and then I spoke at the uh, four weekend services. 
And I had uh, one fellow, a few people come up, but one that came to my mind, he gave me his Bible and he said, would you sign the back of my Bible because I have been through the Bible with you from Genesis to Revelation. And I looked at him and I thought, his name is Phil. I said, Phil is a guy that is, is, is a, a piece of work in a good sense. Because he came to faith in Christ. He went through the entire Bible. As he went through the Word and gleaned the principles, he became mature enough to lead a science fellowship. He's a, a professor of science in local high school and colleges. And raised this incredible ministry up statewide that impacts Los Alamos Labs, the universities around the state, speaking into the scientific community powerfully, evidences for creation, bringing in some big guns to speak to this issue and raise up college students in apologetics. So I began to think of people like Phil and how all that happened. It happened as Phil sat through the teaching of the Word, got into groups of like-minded individuals. They discipled one another in these small groups. They... Iron sharpens iron. They fed off of one another's giftedness. And they went out and they reproduced. And I notice that any church that is given to this format of teaching the Bible and reinforcing the teaching of the Bible, be it on a Sunday night small group or whatever, there's an equipping that takes place and a reproduction that takes place. And healthy sheep will reproduce other sheep. And um, I started thinking about other churches that have sprung out. I I was trying to count them last night because what we were doing is raising up not just small groups for the sake of small groups, but we wanted to, out of the church, glean people who had a heart for missions, people who had a heart for church planting, people who had a heart for music. And we trained them. We had a school of ministry. And we trained them, and I was counting up that we have established through that 18 churches in the United States uh, that have sprung out, four churches in Mexico, three in Africa, two in the United Kingdom, um, two in Japan, uh, one coming up in Canada. And I just started counting that over 30 churches were established by people just being sent out from our fellowship. So as I started thinking about that, and the dynamic of the large group mixed with the small group. And sometimes it was just small group mentoring with a group of guys in my office. And then it got into a school of ministry or small groups of apologetics like Phil's meeting. I started wondering how many churches will spring out of Ocean Hills in the next several years. Hopefully many will be raised up to go out and plant churches so that it becomes more than just building each other up and us becoming strong, we don't want the church to be a bless me club, solely a bless me club. And the attitude of a lot of Christians when they come to church is that of a bless me club. It's a club. I pay my dues. Bless me. Pastor, you got to bless me. You have 30 minutes to bless me. And on a scale of one to 10, I would say you bless me, oh, maybe three or four. Five was last week, but but three or four uh, this week. It's about being equipped to equip one another to do the work of the ministry, we remember. And that was the format in the early church. Now, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 because Corinth was a church that did it wrong. 
Uh, They were riddled with problems. You know, the church is called the body of Christ, isn't it? Paul's one of one of Paul's favorite metaphors is that the church is a body. And I, I want to talk to you tonight about how to build a beautiful body. And this is not an ad for a health club. It's how to build a beautiful church. The church of Corinth was doing it wrong, and though the body of Christ is a beautiful metaphor, the body of Christ of Corinth was an ugly body because it was riddled with party spirit and divisiveness and some thinking they're superior to others and it needed help. And so Paul wrote this letter. And in the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, he says, now concerning spirituals, that's really the literal translation, spirituals or things pertaining to the spirit, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, in verse 4 through verse 11, here's the first step toward making a body, a church, beautiful. All has to do with inreach. Number one, recognize the variety. The variety among us. Not just recognize it, but I would say enjoy the variety. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There's diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom. There's the mention of the word of knowledge, faith by the same spirit, gifts of healings to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, discerning of spirits, different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit, verse 11, works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. There's not one gift. There's not one style. There's not one method. There's not one denomination. There's not one group. God is a God of variety. And that's pretty obvious when you look around at planet Earth. There's not one type of terrain. Wouldn't the world be boring if the entire globe had exactly the same terrain everywhere you went? What if it was all desert? Or what if it was all mountains and no breaks in between? It would be, where would you go on vacation? It'd be so boring. Every place would look the same. But there's great variety with God in his creation and in his church. There's differences of gifts, just like at Christmas, you get different gifts. What if all of the gifts at Christmas were identical? They're from 30 different people, but they all got you socks, white socks. How boring it would be. And if the church were filled with the same gift, it would be a boring activity, a boring group. So God, in his wisdom, in his love, in his graciousness, places different gifted people together to do the one another's. It's the same Lord, but there's differences of gifts. And as he says here, differences of activities. I fear that sometimes we as Christians have a spiritual mold in our thought processes. Oh, we don't articulate it, but it's as if 
Oh, good. You, you came to faith. Now we in our church, we're going to put you in a little spiritual stamp mold and make you just like us. And then when somebody's a bit different, we don't like that. You can't be different. What version of the Bible do you read? You're not reading my version? Why do you dress like that? Why do you sing that song? That's not what I like. And so we think because it's different, it's not good. Instead of recognizing the variety and enjoying the variety. Differences of operations, differences of gifts. How did Jesus heal people? Differently. Sometimes he would say to a person, you're healed. Sometimes he would touch a person. Sometimes as they went from him, they were healed. One time he even spat and made a little mud ball and smeared it in the guy's eye. Now that's cool. I don't see that on Christian television much. That's the one method I haven't seen copied from the New Testament, though it is biblical. So Jesus healed in a variety of ways, and Jesus ministers to his body through a variety of people. So step number one in making a beautiful church, beautiful body, in reach, recognize the variety. Don't put God in a box. Number two, we'll look at this in verse 12, emphasize unity. Recognize variety, celebrate variety, enjoy the variety, but emphasize the unity of the body of Christ. Verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and have been made to drink into one spirit. Emphasizing unity is the balance to recognizing variety. Now listen carefully. If all we do is recognize and celebrate variety, you'll have a malfunctioned body if you don't emphasize the unity, emphasize getting on the same page, being of the same mind, the same spirit. If all you do is recognize variety and celebrate variety, you'll have a silo ministry or a group of silo ministry. Oh, we're all different. Yeah, you're so different, you don't talk to each other. You don't get on the same page. It's not a unified effort. So it's important to have the balance and emphasize unity. When I was growing up, a friend of mine had a father. He was a piano player in a worship band that I was uh, in. And uh, his father, John, great brother, came down with multiple sclerosis. And I watched this multiple sclerosis develop as it does this degenerative process develop over time. And at first it was barely noticeable. After a period of time it was very noticeable. And his movements were jerky and he he couldn't stand and and, uh, his quality of life went down. And I I did a little study on it, a little research because I worked in the hospital environments here in Orange County and understood that what, what happens is that patches of the cerebral cortex begin to harden, whether it's on the brain or the spinal cord, so that the connection isn't made from cell to cell. The, the message from the head doesn't get down through the parts of the body so that the movement isn't smooth and coordinated, but very jerky and debilitative. When the world looks at the church, 
Does the world see this beautiful coordination of a healthy body? Sometimes it sees jerky movements as the head isn't able to communicate to the various parts of the body. So, yes, there's movement, but it's not a very pretty movement. And so we need to emphasize unity. It is one body. The message needs to get through from the head down to the parts of the body. I was speaking in Los Angeles a few years back, and my wife called me many years ago. I was speaking at Billy Ingram's church in Inglewood. And uh, it was when, uh, back at home, my son had touched the stove, put his hand on it, on a red-hot stovetop, just... And just the whole stove, you know, the electric stove griddle was imprinted on his hand. When I heard about that, my heart broke. And then I started thinking about it and thanking God for my son having a healthy body. Because you see, if he didn't have a healthy body, if there were patches that were hardened and the uh, communication couldn't go through, he would have grabbed it, not perhaps being able to feel it, But because the message went to the brain, hot, 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 boom, he took it off right away. So pain is good because pain alerts us, signals us to a problem as it signaled him to that problem. So I started thinking, boy, what would have happened if he couldn't have felt it? It would have been far worse than just that kind of uh, trauma that he experienced that evening. So what am I getting at? I'm getting at something Paul underscores in the New Testament. Jesus Christ is the head of the body, the church. The Holy Spirit is more or less the nervous system. He takes what the head wants and delivers the message through the system that he has chosen, scriptures, church leadership, etc., to get the message out to the body so that they become equipped and active. It's important that the Holy Spirit has his reign because in verse 11, one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Who is controlling the variety and bringing the unity? The Holy Spirit. The nervous system is telling all the parts, you're this, you're that. This is how you function. This is what I will for you and what I will for you. And that's important. It's not about our will. Church isn't about, this is my ministry, this is what I get to do. It's about what is his will and what does he want me to do for his body. That's what it's about. That's key to a strong and healthy body. We can't make it our will. It has to be about his will and what he wants for the church. Do you work your way up in the gifts of the Spirit? That's a good question. Uh, Let let me rephrase it. Uh, Would you say, hey, if I'm a good word of wisdom guy, do you think I could eventually be a prophet? Um, If I'm really good at the gift of helps, do you think I could teach next week, Sunday morning? Well, would your kneecap say, if I'm a really good kneecap, could I become an elbow? And yet, some people will function in their giftedness solely because I've got to do it. It gives me satisfaction when I exercise that gift. 
And it should give you satisfaction. But the reason we exercise our gifts is because we're obeying Christ for the sake of His body and we find out what He's gifted us and equipped us to do and we just do it. We just do it. Because it's His body. It's about Him and His church, not about me or what I want to do. So, we recognize variety. We emphasize unity. Now look down at verse 14. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, now just for fun, picture this. Your foot is speaking. And your foot begins to say, because I'm not a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. Step number three in building a beautiful body, maximize equality. Maximize equality. Recognize variety. Emphasize unity. Maximize equality. Body part is a body part. Okay, a hand isn't a foot. An arm isn't a leg. But they are connected to the head and they all have a function. So we need to maximize equality. Sometimes we as Christians, will you not agree, we emphasize certain Parts of the body of Christ as being superior, better than. Well, did you hear what so-and-so said? And, and he's, wow, or she's amazing. And we can emphasize a certain portion of the body of Christ and put that part on a pedestal. And what we're doing is we're sending the wrong message. We're saying, you're important. And we're also sending a message to the rest of the church saying, well, you're not that important. We need to maximize equality. And and notice what Paul does. He's comparing a couple of different parts with each other. Uh, Two parts that are rarely seen compared to two parts that are very visible. Our hands versus our feet is, is his first example. You see hands, especially if you're Italian, you see hands a lot when you talk because you move them. We shake with our hands. We, we do a lot of work. Uh, our dexterity of hand is very critical in a lot of people's work. Feet are important, but we would probably say not as important as our hands. Um, you'd be wrong because you might say, well, you can never you know, shake feet. You shake hands with somebody. You never put your foot out and say, happy to meet you. Uh, you don't write with your foot. Uh, yes, but you don't walk with your hands. And your feet carry you from place to place. You notice hands, you may not notice feet. You notice eyes, you may not notice ears. When I first met my wife, one of the striking features was her her beautiful round set eyes with those beautiful eyebrows. I noticed them. And I said, she has beautiful eyes. We notice people's eyes. When we meet them, we rarely notice their ears. (laughs) Right? I didn't say... She has great lobes. 
I'm attracted to her ears, quite frankly. Not at all. Ears are pretty ugly. They're twisted. They're weird. But because they're twisted, they direct sound and they enable me to function at a different level than if I didn't have them. They may not be as noticeable or as visible. We don't draw as much attention, but they're so very important. So he says in verse 17, and and really try to picture this. If you can, it will be very funny to you. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? Imagine if you saw a five foot seven eyeball. Now, some of you might go, that'd be cool. Okay, but what good would it be? Well, it could see very well. Okay, that's all it could do. It couldn't communicate what it sees. It wouldn't be able to hear. It wouldn't be able to go anywhere. Just go to roll around with a contact lens on it. And so Paul is exaggerating here to make a very important point. When we pedestalize certain gifts and minimize other gifts, we're doing disservice to the body of Christ. We're sending the wrong message. We need to maximize equality and say all of the parts, all of the gifts are crucial and need to be exercised. Back in 1981, in March, you'll remember, I think it was John Hinckley Jr. uh, fired a shot at President Reagan, rendered Reagan hospitalized for a few weeks. Did the nation stop? Not at all. Here's the chief executive officer of the United States of America in the hospital, rendered for all intents and purposes useless, and the government didn't shut down. The nation didn't stop. But what would happen if the garbage collectors of America stopped? All went on strike. It happened in Philadelphia. The city was almost paralyzed. It was a garbage dump, quite literally, because they didn't pick it up. After that, we were told by the news that if all of the garbage collectors in America went on strike, the country would be paralyzed in three weeks. Think about that. Reagan is in the hospital for a few weeks. Nation goes on. Garbage collectors go on strike. The nation's paralyzed. Now, who's more important? The president of the United States of America or the garbage collectors? Answer, they're all important. They all must do their duty. They all must perform their function or something is wrong and goes wrong dramatically. So we need to maximize equality and not give a a pedestal position to one gift, minimizing the other. Verse uh, 21, look at that. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No much rather... Those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our presentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts, unpresentable parts, pardon me, but our presentable parts have no need, but God has composed the body having greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there would be no schism or division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. I'm going to give you a fourth principle. You recognize variety. You emphasize unity. You maximize equality. 
and you minimize self-sufficiency. Ooh, this is a hard one for Americans. We are a self-sufficient bunch of folks. But you minimize self-sufficiency. It says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Folks, unnoticed does not mean unimportant. Nobody notices me. I must not be important. That's a lie. Just because something is unnoticed does not make it or render it unimportant. When you look at a person's body, you notice their eyes, their nose, their mouth, rarely their ears. You notice their hairstyle, their hands, etc. But do you ever ask a person, hey, how's your pituitary? And more specifically, the cella tersica, I've been wondering about that, the little saddle of bone that surrounds that little pituitary gland. How's yours? Unnoticed, unseen, vital to your growth. Now, what would happen if certain parts of my body wanted to be more noticed? What if suddenly my lungs said, you know, I want more exposure. Nobody notices me. They notice your mouth, but they don't notice me. I want more exposure. I die of infection. In fact, certain parts of the body you don't recognize, but they're so important, and you don't even think about them until they malfunction. When they malfunction, when all the attention gets drawn to it, either by a cancerous growth or just some stoppage of function, then you're alerted. It's disease. It's unhealth. Uh, It was after a Sunday night message. I was going home some years ago, and I stopped at this burrito place. I had a burrito, went home, went to bed, got awakened at 2 in the morning. My stomach was bothering me. I rolled over, went to sleep, thinking it would pass, it would go away. It didn't. About three in the morning, I woke up again in so much pain, I was on the ground in a fetal position, couldn't move, had enough strength to call. My wife was out of town, called a buddy of mine, a associate pastor in the church, to take me to the hospital. They took me to the emergency room. They ran all sorts of tests on me. Doc, what is it? I don't know. They said, we've got to keep you overnight. They did blood work. My white count was up. They knew I had an infection. They did x-rays. They did tests the next couple of days. They didn't know. They took me to the x-ray department the following day to do an interesting examination called a barium enema. <laughs> it's as bad as it sounds. <laughs> and I know because I used to do them on other people. And it was sort of like payback maybe, but... I knew what was coming, and I'm on the table, and I'm in that silly little gown, and it's cold on the table, and I'm just looking up to heaven, and I'm thinking of the words of Job when he said, that which I have feared has come upon me. (laughs) And then I started thinking of this scripture, and I thought, there's one part of my body that is not cooperating and causing this kind of pain and problem. 
The whole body shut down, inconvenienced, because a part is drawing attention to itself and not cooperating. The body is a body because it requires the input and involvement of all of the other parts. So we need to minimize self-sufficiency. So there is no malfunction. So, as to vision casting in the future, large group dynamic, small group dynamic. We need to be careful, I believe, that we don't have what one book called too many meetings. Now, some people, some churches, love lots of meetings, lots of committees, and they go from one meeting to the next. Personally, they dizzy me. I would rather have a few meaningful meetings where we can get together, get the Word of God, break up in groups. And I think probably the best night we did often was Sunday nights because we didn't have a Sunday night service, so it enabled the church to take what was learned on Sunday morning and apply it so there was instruction and then application and relationship all going on in the same day. It was a beautiful time. Get back together on Wednesday night, but then there were other uh, groups for the youth and for the women and for the men to really hone in on specific needs for the church. Now, we're going to break up in just a moment and and pray for one another again, but I want to have my wife come up and just address a little bit of women's ministry, and uh, then we'll finish up. First of all, I think my husband outed me last week. I had no idea I was going to do this yet, so I you know, kind of feel like I had to to get ready differently. But as I was sitting there, the thoughts that went through my head, because I really didn't prepare that much. Um, but what I thought about is that um, I love God's word and I love God's body and I'm falling in love with this body. I've been trying to meet as many people as I can. Skip has as well. I've gone to lunch or coffee or somewhere or, you know, just hung out with you after or before a service. And um, it does feel like Christmas to me when I meet you because I feel like I'm unwrapping a gift. And that when I unwrapped you and go, oh, she's got the gift of hospitality or he's got the gift of evangelism. or So to me, it's so exciting to get to know a body. And so I suppose I just want to start by affirming you that um, you have a beautiful body. I mean, there really are a lot of beautiful things happening. And, and so I've really enjoyed um, getting to know you. And, of course, I want to get to know everybody else, too. And just give me time, you know. <laughs> like I went to lunch with a dozen ladies today and had tea, and I'm trying to do that as much as possible. But, you know, if with this big of a body, it just takes a while to explore all the parts. So um, I just want to affirm you and say that I think you are a beautiful body, and there are a lot of really neat things happening here. And, you know, just the first few weeks when um, some friends came and visited and, and they saw Annette's hospitality ministry, they went back to New Mexico and started a hospitality ministry that was greeting. And so, um, you know, you can teach an old dog new tricks, and I think that it's mutual. We're learning things from you, and prayerfully you'll learn things from us. So I just want to affirm you, first of all, that I think you're a pretty neat body, and I can't wait to get to know you individually and, and see what God's doing in you and through you and will do with us together as a team. And then I think um, kind of summing up some of what Skip was saying tonight, and 
I suppose my heart beats in tandem with my husband. I can't think of anything, you know, ministry-wise where we are not just parallel in our paths. And so um, I think summing up what our hearts are for you, whether it's women's ministry or him as the shepherd of this flock, is that um, I think he's trying to say that it's power to the people or liberty to the laity, that um, it's not a one-man or one-woman show or a one-family show. It's the body of Christ. And uh, that... Nothing good would happen here at Ocean Hills unless everybody does their part. And I think that's the whole in-reach thing is, you know, power to the people. <laughs> so um, as far as women, I think I track right along with Skip and, and my heart for the ladies. And um, I guess if I summed it up, it would just be similar things as Skip. My heart for the ladies is that we would uh, feed you, fill you, and free you. Um, you know, my heart for the women is that you're fed the word of God, that you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and then you're freed to do what God wants to do in and through your lives so that he is utilizing you to the greatest capacity. And um, my heart would to be um, to bend down and put you on my shoulders and make sure you could be the best whoever God created you to be. So my heart is the same as Skip. I want the word of God to be the work of God in your life. And so... You know, fundamentally as a women's ministry, the word is the rock. It's the foundation, and it's from which everything else springs. And so as a pastor's wife, I would want to make sure that women are in the word. And in, in the women's ministry in the past that I've been involved in, I've seen women who were bulimic, and we were studying Joshua, and God healed this woman. And I saw marriages that were broken, and we were studying Ruth, and marriages were healed. And rather than spending time, you know, just teaching on marriages or counseling or diet or bulimia, let's just be in his word and let it do his work in our lives. And that's my heart as a pastor's wife. And when I met with uh, Stieg and a lot of you that were in the search committee, um, one of the things that they were really looking for was a team. And I don't want to be a co-pastor. I don't believe that. I'm not a pastor. I'm a pastor's wife. But one thing they wanted in a pastor's wife was someone who had a vision for the women and would feed the women and care for the women. And that's me. I do love women. I love his word. And, and I just want to, to be a part of you. And I want to be a team with you. So my goal is to identify people that can play second base or out field or good hitters or pinch hitters or whatever that you're a pitcher um so i just want to build a team of women and find your gifts and uh you know let's just conquer the church you know the city orange county california the world though i don't know i have big vision as well so the first thing we're going to do is the women's ministry is just going to throw up a test balloon and get to know each other. So we have planned on the third Sunday in June, June 19th, to have a little breakfast seminar here at the church. And uh, we're going to call it Here Comes the Groom. And so it's June and it's weddings and we're going to focus on Jesus and uh, that he is our groom. And so I hope that you guys will get to come and we'll have some of the gals share their testimony, a couple teachings, some food, some special music and and worship. And so I hope in June that you'll all come and we can get to know each other. And then my prayer is that God will just show me ladies among this body who have different gifts so that by the fall we can start a women's study. 
And it's the same thing Skip's saying, that we study the word through homework throughout the week. We come in and have a teaching, and then we discuss it in small groups. And by the time you've had the word in three different ways, hopefully it's in here and in here, and it impacts your life. So in a nutshell, that's my heart. That's where I'm headed. And pray with me. And if you're interested in getting involved in the women's ministry, and I say that prayerfully because some of you may be called to children or to missions or other things, but if you really feel called to women's ministry, Betty Gordy has offered to put some um, sign-up sheets in the back on the information booth and I just love your name number and address so I can call you and say help (laughs) be a part of the body so that's it and in the back Paul is that right there's uh, there's ministry representatives from all different kinds of ministries and groups already existing in the church There'll be more to follow, certainly, but there are so many wonderful avenues already to be involved. One of the big um, needs um, that was brought to my attention is the children's ministry. And, um, you know, there's a lot of ways you can look at it. Well, I've raised my kids and I've paid my dues, but it is a body. And uh, those kids and those parents would love it. if, No matter what age you are, if you want to get involved, we would love to train you to get involved and do it effectively. And speak into um, these kids' lives. You know, um, testimony after testimony that I've heard over the years includes a godly Sunday school teacher. And uh, so you can't minimize that. And uh, you may not be seen by the masses, but you'll be seen as a looming figure in the eyes of impressionable children. So you, you can sign up for that as well. But there's many different ministries and home groups that are represented. You could ask questions. You could put your name down. You could get information. And uh, bottom line, want you to get plugged in.